If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. We are finishing the book of Galatians this week. It seems like a week of finishing things. The youth finished the book of Mark uh, this past Friday. Um, it was probably a year, maybe a year and a half that we were in the book of Mark, and we celebrated that by actually reading through the whole book uh, as a group out loud. It was it was a good time. It only took us maybe an hour and a half of reading, I guess, but we also had some discussion there, so it was good. But we've come to the end of the book of Galatians. We began back in November, taking some breaks here and there, but we've had about, this will be our 22nd sermon through the book of Galatians. So we've we've uh, we've walked through it slowly. Um, I feel like we've accomplished something, at least I do. And then at the same time, I feel like we've uh, we've missed some things. There's been some things that have been left unsaid, that there are verses and understandings of passages that could still be expounded. And I guess that's the beauty of God's Word, that no matter how much you study it, there's always more to learn, always more to glean. And so uh, we are going to finish the book of Galatians for now, but that doesn't mean that we have mastered it. We have nothing left to learn from this book. Surely we will come back. But as we come to a close, it's good to kind of recall where we come from. So let me just try to walk through some big themes of, of what we've learned as we walk through this book. You remember how Paul opens this letter and he cuts right, right to the chase. He comes out kind of guns blazing, and after this brief introduction, he says that he is astonished that the Galatians have so quickly fallen away from the gospel that he preached and have turned to another gospel, a gospel that he says is no gospel at all. And so we find out very quickly that there are some false teachers in the midst of the church in Galatia, those that we call the Judaizers. They were teaching that we are only made right before God by faith plus works of the law, specifically and especially the rite of circumcision. And as the Galatians were initially probably protesting this, saying that this wasn't the message that Paul preached. The false teachers came in and they said, well, who, who's Paul? He isn't really a true apostle, a true minister of the gospel. and We don't really trust his motives necessarily. And so Paul takes these first two chapters and he kind of defends himself. Do you remember that? He defends his apostleship. He shares his, his biography. He emphasizes that his message was not something that he made up. Um, it wasn't something that he stole from someone else, but it, it came directly from God. He talks about his conversion on the road to Damascus and how God had called him and then commissioned him to go to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. He talks about how, you remember he said he had limited contact. He didn't really get in contact with Peter and James and John until later on. And when he did, they were all in agreement as to what the gospel was. And they were equally opposed to those that were pressuring the Greeks who had come to Christ to be circumcised. They said that's not true to the gospel. They were opposed to causing division between Jew and Gentile who were believers in Jesus. And you remember that story about how Paul went as far even to confront Peter when Peter slipped away from this and started disfellowshipping from those that were that, that were um, Greek Christians. And, and he started coming over and, and just spending time with the Jewish believers. And Paul says that this is, this is not a small thing, this is a gospel thing. Because as Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So then Paul takes up that theme, that theme of justification by faith alone, and that's chapters 3 and 4. So for chapters 1 and 2, that biography, chapters 3 and 4, he reminds the Galatians of this core truth of Christianity, and he talks to them. First he says, 
you experienced this. When you, when you received the gospel, it was by a miraculous work of the Spirit, not by something that you did. And then he, we might say, goes Old Testament on them. And he goes, he goes straight to Abraham. And the Judaizers surely would have thought that Abraham was the perfect poster person for faith plus works theology. But Paul shows them that from the very beginning, even with Abraham, that God's intention has always been to save all nations and to do it by means of grace through faith, not by works of the law. So then those who are children of Abraham, we said, are not those that are physically descended from Abraham, but are those who are children by faith. Because Abraham was a man of faith, and we are children of Abraham if we have faith in Christ. He talks about the law. He says the law was not a ladder that we're supposed to climb to get to God. It's tracks that help us understand the way that we go. And not only that, but if we see it as a ladder, all it does is enslave us. It puts us in prison and it reveals our sin. And so then we who are enslaved to sin, we are to come to Jesus. And Jesus sets us free. Freedom. One of the big themes of the book of Galatians. Not only does he set us free, but Paul says he goes as far as to adopt us as children, as sons and daughters. He closes out chapter 4, you remember, by saying that we're not just children, we're not, we're not slave-born children of Hagar, but no, we are the free-born children of Abraham by Sarah. We are children of promise, not because of anything that we have done, and we're not kept in the family by adhering to legalistic principles. No, we are heirs according to promise, the promise made to Abraham. We're set free, we're adopted through faith alone in Christ alone. Now, we've recently been in chapters 5 and 6, and, and Paul applies these truths. He shows us that since we've placed our faith in Christ and the Spirit lives within us, we are now able to walk in and by the Spirit. We're able to say no to sin and yes to God. We're, we do it not through the strength of, of our own hands, but through the Spirit that's working in us, bearing fruit. And when He bears fruit, we fulfill the law. Not the Old Testament law, but the true law, the law of Christ. This is where to love God and we're to love neighbor in self-sacrificing and practical ways. And so Paul has written all of this down for the Galatians and for us. But to be technical, I guess, Paul actually didn't physically write these things. But he probably dictated them to a scribe, maybe one of his traveling companions who wrote everything down. He says that. I, I point that out because verse 11 of our passage says, See with what larger, large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So someone else was was writing down what Paul was dictating, and now Paul says, okay, give me the pen. And he takes the pen in his own hand. This was Paul's custom. It was his way of authenticating the letter, of saying this truly is for me. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. So Paul had, must have had some unique way of writing. It says here that it's large letters. <clears throat> now there's a thousand different speculations as to what that means, what does large letters mean. Some people say it's because his eyesight was bad. We talked about that a little bit. Um, some would say that he was writing in what you would call Greek unseals, which are like, it's writing in all caps, basically, rather than in minuscules, which is like cursive. So Paul wrote in this kind of older form. Now, whatever the reason, this is his handwriting. Uh, it, it was to be a mark that this letter was truly from Paul. Now, usually once he says this, once he picks up the pen and writes, 
the letter quickly comes to a close. There might be one verse after this. But here we see that, that he has some extended final words, and they are this, this summary, a, a distillation of the core truths of this entire letter. Let's read these verses together. As Paul has pick, picked up the pen in verse 11 of chapter 6, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. The key question for us this morning as we close out the book of Galatians for the time being is where is your boast? Where is your boast? John Stott writing about uh, this word, uh, this concept of boasting, he says it's this idea, it's, it's to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. He goes on, the object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. So what drives you? What is your life centered around? What is the controlling force in your everyday life? What do you, what do you wake up in the morning thinking about, and what do you go to bed with on your mind? There were these t-shirts that were popular, uh, I think it was probably when I was in elementary school or maybe um, junior high, and they they came in different varieties, and I was into soccer at the time, and so I remember the one that was about soccer, and it said, across the front it said, soccer is life, and then in small letters it said, the rest is just details. I don't know if anyone remembers those t-shirts, but they came in a lot of different varieties. Um, you could get one that said, you know, fishing is life. It would have a fishing pole on it. Or you would see one that says, you know, baseball is life. Or, or knitting is life. The rest is just details. You know, these different shirts. But the, the point, the message of the shirt that the shirt was supposed to send is, this is what my life revolves around. This is, this is if we put it in the terms of this passage, this is my boast. This is my glory. This is what fills my horizon. And as Paul closes this letter, he kind of gets right down to the, the core issue of the Galatian controversy. And he reveals that the difference between himself and the false teachers really comes down to core motivation, to what what is our boast and what is our glory, what are we consumed with? And he basically says there's two options. He says our lives can be centered on ourselves or on the gospel. They can be centered on our own personal interests or on the glory of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. So the question this morning again is, where is your boast? Let's consider boasting in ourselves. 
But let's think about what it would be like if our boast and our confidence and our peace and our joy and our focus is found in, in us. Well, the first thing that Paul says is this is going to show up in a, a concern for our reputation. It's going to show up in a concern for our reputation. If our boast is ourselves, it's going to show up in a concern for our reputation. You see it in verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to, they want to look good in the flesh. And later on in verse 12, Verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Whether it was amongst themselves or with those who were in Jerusalem and other areas that were on their side, those that were in Galatia, they were, they were concerned with how others were perceiving them. They were more concerned with that than even their own spiritual well-being or the spiritual well-being of other people. They found their boast and their glory in telling other people how many converts they had won, not to the gospel, but away from Paul. How many people they had convinced that they needed to be circumcised. That's where it says they boast in your flesh. They boasted in their own flesh, in, in the works that they had added to their faith, and in the fact that they had convinced other people to put their confidence, not simply in faith, but also in the works of their hands. And it was all empty and self-centered boasting. You know, when, you're, when your reputation, how you're, you're viewed by other people becomes more important to you than anything else, then you're not walking in love, just as these false teachers were not walking in love, nor were they pleasing to God. The truth is no longer as important to you as the opinions of others. And our sinful hearts, they become focused on, on people liking us, uh, approving of us, uh, applauding us, rather than on pleasing God and on honoring Him. That's the core problem of legalism, isn't it? That we're more concerned about looking good than about doing what God has called us to do. So if that's true, if we're focused on our reputation, we go along with things that we know we shouldn't. We don't speak forth the truth of the gospel when opportunities arise because it, it might cause our, our co-workers or our, our family or our friends to not respect us. Or maybe we talk more about what we have done than what God has done. We talk about all of the things that, that we have accomplished, the deeds that we have added to our salvation, rather than what God alone has done for us through the gospel. Churches can fall into this too, actually. We become more concerned about, about winning converts to our specific brand of, of Christianity than actually preaching the gospel in such a way that it makes sin clear and the cross the only hope that people have. I mean, when a, when a church simply wants people outside the church to think that they're great, rather than to please God, it, it, it's a slippery slope. It becomes a problem. When a church compromises the message of the gospel so that they can become more acceptable in the eyes of other people, then they're not focused on glorifying God but themselves. And it's easy to do, to be more worried about your reputation. Nobody wants to look bad in front of other people. But if our focus and our goal is ourselves and our reputation, then it can cause so many different problems. So these false teachers, and eventually those who were following them, they were they were focused on their reputation, and just like we might be. Another thing, if we're focused on ourselves, we might become consumed with our comfort. Not just our reputation, but our comfort. Look at what he says. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Then he says, why? Simply, so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ, so that they won't be persecuted 
It wasn't in Rome that the first persecuted believers showed up. It was the Jews who were persecuting. You remember Paul, when he was Saul, before he was, uh, before Jesus met him, he took pride in the fact that he was killing followers of this, the, the way, the, the followers of Jesus. And they saw it as a means of offering service to God. And so there was an easy way, to, way out of the persecution. It was to just add circumcision. We saw that in chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, they were, some people were accusing Paul, saying that he was actually teaching that people should be circumcised. And he says, if that's true, if I've gone that far and I've compromised there, then why am I still being persecuted? Because if I would teach that, then the Jews wouldn't bother me. They'd be okay with my message. But they're not, because I'm not, I haven't gone to that place. But the false teachers, because they were scared of, of persecution, scared of, of suffering, and more concerned with their own comfort, they added to the gospel. They compromised on the gospel to be, avoid being harassed and oppressed like Paul was. That was the danger of Peter's hypocrisy in chapter 2. I guess the question is, would we do the same? Or do we do the same? Do we draw clear lines between ourselves and those who believe something really close to the gospel but maybe add something to it? Do we, do we just kind of muddy up those lines so that we won't have to face negativity or, or persecution? Do we make our differences clear between what other people believe or do we try to say, well, we all kind of are heading to God in the same way? I mean, Paul, of course, faced actual physical persecution. He's going to talk about that in chapter 17. Most of us don't. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do. But we are still filled with this, this self-interest, this selfishness that's more, more enamored with our, with our own comfort than with proclaiming the truth of the gospel. We slowly allow false teaching and, and just muddy up doctrine, add things to it because we're just concerned with our own comfort. Beyond just avoiding persecution, our, our lives can become a self-centered pursuit of comfort and, and pleasure. Our days are, are filled not with, with concern for the cross, but with, with this insatiable desire to be entertained and to be comfortable. We just avoid anything difficult. We avoid hard things because we just want to, to try to follow the path of, of, of least resistance, the road that is, is free from anything challenging or tiring. We're more concerned with ourselves and our comfort than we are with God and His name. If we follow into these things, Paul says we're hypocrites. Verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Paul made it clear that if in, in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, everyone who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. And he says, so these folks are telling you you need to keep this specific command, but they're not telling you that if you do that, you also enslave yourself to the rest of the law because they're not doing it either. We become hypocrites. If we're boasting in ourselves, then we're trying to hide something that, that is true about us so that people can't figure us out. So if we boast and our, and our confidence is in our flesh, if our confidence is in ourselves, it's going to show up in an attitude that's more concerned with our reputation, it's more concerned with our own comfort, and it leads to hypocrisy. So then Paul offers an alternative. The alternative to boasting in ourselves, to having our lives centered around us, to being concerned with our reputation, 
and our comfort. And what is the alternative? Paul calls us to boast only in the cross. To boast only in the cross. Verse 14. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He begins by saying, God forbid that I should ever boast. May God keep me from boasting in these things, from putting confidence in the flesh, from from trusting the work of my hands, or from being more concerned about my reputation or my, my comfort than the cross. We might expect Paul to stop there, right? May God, the verse says, but may it never be that I would boast, or God forbid that I would boast in anything. But then he adds this, except. May it never be that I would boast, except. You remember what boasting is. We said it at the beginning. I'll remind you this quote from John Stott, to boast. It's to boast in, to glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our glory, the object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. So we would ask Paul, we would say, what is the one thing you trust in, Paul, that you rejoice in, that you revel in, that you live for? What, what fills your horizon and engrosses your attention? And absorbs your time and energy, Paul. Paul, what is your obsession? And therefore, what should we be obsessed in? Paul, if you're going to boast about something, what are you going to boast about? And he writes, God forbid that I should ever glory, that I should ever boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who were advocating that the Galatians would, should be circumcised and keep the law as an addition for salvation, they were doing this so that they might have something to boast about before others, so that they could talk about the, the converts. They, they, they not only did so they could boast about something, but then they gave their converts something to boast in. You can boast about what you have done and that your salvation is there. Those who rely on in part or in whole on works of the flesh, they, they want to have something to hold up, to say to others and to God, my salvation is possible because I have done this. And so Paul comes to the, the object of his boast, and he says, I don't want to boast in anything, but I'll boast in one thing. I'll, I'll boast in the cross. And when he boasts in the cross, what's he boasting in? Is he boasting in anything that he has done? His boast is in... Christ and in what Jesus has accomplished by his death and his resurrection on the cross. Any boasting in works that robs God of, of the glory that he deserves in the miracle of salvation. But to boast in the cross, to give all glory to God for what he has done, that doesn't, it doesn't look good for me. It's, it's faith. This is how Paul started the letter back in, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. And he emphasizes faith to the Galatians just continually throughout every chapter of this book. Because faith is to admit that we have absolutely nothing to offer to God except belief in what he has done. It's seen in the book as Paul explains that the law imprisons us. And it holds us captive. That we are dead in our sins. That we're lying on the floor of the prison cell of our flesh. And that the only thing that can happen is that God has to break through the doors of the prison and then give us new life and revive us through his resurrection. It's the message that he gives when he says that we are rebels against God, but then God comes 
and adopts us and, and makes us his children. Paul says, I'll glory in that because I don't get any glory in it. I'll glory in what Jesus has done because it has nothing to do with me. An adopted child isn't seeking necessarily on his own strength an adoptive father and mother. It's the adopted parents that are seeking out the child, and so too with God. Salvation is a work of God alone. So where is boasting? It's excluded. Or if you're going to boast, the only place you can boast is in the cross alone and for the glory of God alone. Now, to say that, that we boast in the cross, that, that sounds very lovely to our Christianized ears, doesn't it? But it would have been an offense to those who would have heard it, and it possibly would have been laughable to them. I mean, the cross was not a lovely thing in Paul's day. You remember what it was. I mean, it was this means of, of capital punishment for criminals. It was an instrument of torture. It wasn't an object of affection and devotion. You may have heard of the, the famous American artist Andy Warhol. Um, he's best known for lithographs of, of these colorful lithographs of like Marilyn Monroe or Campbell's soup cans. He's the guy that coined the phrase that in the future everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. Andy Warhol was the first guy that said that. But he also did this series of, of screen prints. And in the screen prints, he depicted the electric chair. Um, there were hues of, of yellow and, and orange and brown surrounding an electric chair. This uh, means of death for criminals. Well, not surprisingly, Andy Warhol is more known for his portraits of famous people and of Campbell's soup cans than of his screen prints of electric chairs. Well, why? Because who looks at an instrument of torture and sees it as, as beautiful? I mean, does anyone want to hang up this picture of the electric chair in their living room above their couch? Actually, Paul kind of does, it would seem like. And so do we, if we're Christians, because what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the cross. It's what, it's what fills our vision. It's what controls our lives. It's, it's the most recognizable sign of the Christian faith, isn't it? The cross. And we don't revel in it as an instrument of torture. We're not taking glory in the fact that it was a brutal form of death. But we lift it up as, as, as the hope of our salvation, as the means of our salvation. So as opposed to those who would conceal this from view, because they're more concerned about their reputation in front of others. Paul says, now, I'm going to take the thing that everyone ridicules and that everyone thinks is offensive, and that's the one thing I'm going to boast in. I'm not concerned about my reputation. I'm concerned about lifting up the cross of Christ. It's, it's foolishness to the world. It's offensive to the outside world, but it's the thing that I'm going to boast in. And, and as we embrace the cross, we too face this loss of reputation in the eyes of some. Now, granted, no one's probably going to walk into your house and see a cross hanging on the wall and think, that's crazy. Or they're not going to look at the cross that's hanging around your neck and think that, that you're glorying and boasting in something that's, that's terrible. But if you start to communicate the message of the cross, if you say, God sent his only son to die in your place. Jesus became sin. He took your sin on himself. And then God took all of his wrath against sin and poured it out on his son so that he could be a substitute so that you could have salvation. And the message of the gospel is that you can't do anything. The only way to God is to come by faith. That's offensive. That's offensive to people. They don't want to hear about God's wrath being poured out on his son. 
They don't want to hear about the fact that they can't do anything, that they are sinners, that they are broken. That's offensive. So if we boast in the cross, we are boasting in something that the world does not like, that is offensive. The image of the cross may not be, but the message is. So Paul rejoices in the crucifixion of Jesus in the first half of this verse, but he also talks about a couple other crucifixions in verse 14. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says that it's, it's through the cross, first, that the world has been crucified to me, and second, that I have been crucified to the world. The world here refers to this system of human existence. Um, it, it's, it's anything that belongs to this system, or anything that appears hostile towards God. It's, the world is lost in sin. It's, it's at odds with God. It's, it's ruined. It's depraved. It's hard to draw a big distinction here between what does it mean that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I think what he's saying is that through the cross, the world has no hold on me, and I have no hold on the world. Whereas before the world and all of its fleshly desires, these things filled my mind and they held my heart. It's no longer there. The world doesn't have a hold on me anymore. And then in contrast, my heart used to love the things of the world, and now I, I don't want those things anymore. I'm dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. It's part of the message of Galatians 5, isn't it? But Paul doesn't just rejoice that this death has happened, but also that, that life has happened. Look at, at verse 15. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new Creation. He emphasizes once more that circumcision and uncircumcision or any other deed of the flesh, any other thing that you're going to do in your own strength, it doesn't mean anything. It means absolutely nothing. To add these things as a means of becoming pleasing to God is, as Jesus said, it's like whitewashing a tomb. It's like trying to make a corpse beautiful. It's You can make these things look as beautiful as you want and as acceptable as you want to people that are passing by. But in reality, a tomb is full of a dead body. That's no matter how pretty you make it look. That's what it's like adding works to what we do. We're, we're trying to make a corpse beautiful. So make it as beautiful as you want. It's still the marker of a dead body. What would be really beautiful is if we didn't take a whitewashed tomb, but, but rather we gave new life to the dead body. That would be beautiful. That would, that would be a miracle. That would be something to get excited about, right? And so that's what Paul says. Circumcision, uncircumcision, works of the flesh, they don't do anything. But what's important is a new creation. So Paul reminds us that these outward works don't do anything except for try to beautify a corpse. And what really matters is what Jesus has done, that he has given freedom, that he has, has given new life. What matters is, is, is new life, this creation of a new person. And so boasting in the cross is is boasting in the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17. That verse we know so well. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New. It's, it's a word here that obviously means something in opposition to the old, but it also means that it, it replaces what is old because it's it's superior. So the cross then, it replaces any outward means of salvation. Anything that we would try to do, it says, that's no longer the way to God. It never was. It's always been by faith. 
So when Paul rejoices in the cross, when he boasts in the cross, he rejoices that, that the cross has brought death, that it has caused the world to lose its grip on his heart, and it's also caused him to let go of the world. But not only that, it's brought new life. It's made us a completely new creation in Christ Jesus. So then, logically, Paul speaks about walking by this rule. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I have to say right off the bat, that phrase there, the Israel of God, um, we just don't have time to go into exactly what Paul is talking about there. And so I defer that to another time, maybe some Sunday evening we'll talk about the relationship between church and Israel, but um, it's just too much to tackle right now. So I see it there, and I'm going to avoid it for the time being, okay? <laughs> but he says, those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. That, that idea of walking, what's that take you back to? Walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, the reality of the death our death to the world and the death of the world to us and this, this new creation, it places us on the path of walking in the Spirit. That's what Galatians 2.20 is all about, that we, that we walk by this rule, by this standard. We walk in the Spirit. We say no to the flesh. We say yes to the Spirit. We sow in the field of the Spirit rather than in the field of the flesh. To, and he says if we would walk this road, if we would walk in the Spirit, then we will find peace and mercy will be upon us. That God will bring peace to our hearts. He will show mercy in this life and in the life to come. So there's this contrast. Those false teachers who are putting confidence in the flesh and are concerned about their reputation. Paul says, my boast is in, it's in the cross. You, you all want to look good in front of others, but I'm embracing a message that actually highlights my need, that shows that I don't have anything to offer. You want to boast in what you do? I'll boast in the cross that shows that I can't do anything. It was this this message that it, it brought the opposite of respect for Paul because he gloried in the cross. But Paul was more concerned about the reputation of God, about how God would look at And He said, if I boast in the cross, then, then God is glorified, not me, because it's not about anything that I could do. It's all about what Christ has done. And also, in contrast to these false teachers who were concerned about the reputation, Paul is not concerned at all with his own comfort. He actually says he embraces the persecution that, the, that comes with boasting in the cross. We read that in Philippians 3, didn't we? That he wants to know the power of his resurrection, but he also wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings. He wanted to know the suffering of the cross. He says he has the scars to prove it. Verse 17, For now, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. He says that all of his glorying in the cross, all of his hard preaching against circumcision and any other form of works righteousness, it, it, it didn't bring him friends. It brought him floggings and beatings and persecution. Isn't it ironic his opponents were glorying in this mark of the flesh in circumcision. And to close out the book, Paul says, I'll show you what the true marks of a follower of Jesus are. They're the marks of being persecuted as he was beat and as he was tortured. 
he wasn't boasting in the scars, but he was he was proclaiming that this is a sign of his devotion, that it's a sign that he's not worried about himself. It's not about self-interest, but he's worried about the glory of Christ. The word there that, that's translated in my Bible, brand marks, it's, it's where we get the English word stigma. And it's actually was a word that was used for the, the tattoos or the brandings that were put on slaves that identified them as belonging to a specific master. And so Paul says that he has on his back the marks that show who his master is. He has marks to match his master's because Jesus was beaten for the message that he proclaimed. And so too Paul was beaten for boasting only of the cross. And the reality for us is that if we are going to boast in the cross, if we're going to boast in an instrument of torture, then we should not be surprised if we face persecution and suffering. To be more concerned with comfort, to run from, from suffering for the sake of the gospel, and to only seek to be at ease, is to reveal what we boast in, to reveal what controls us, to reveal that we are more concerned with ourselves than with the cross, to reveal that, that when I wake up in the morning, what fills my mind is me, rather than the glory of God and the message of the cross. Now, it may not mean that we face beatings or martyrdom like Paul did. Certainly it's true for some. But to glory in the cross and to walk in the path of a crucified Messiah is to embrace suffering, to embrace pain, to embrace persecution. And this is the path that he calls us to. If we boast in the cross, then we will also face the suffering of the cross. We looked this morning in the book of Acts and saw that suffering is not outside of the will of God, but that God will often lead us into suffering and into pain because that's where he can be most glorified. This is true for Paul. So the question for us is, are we more concerned about our comfort again, or are we concerned about the glory of the, of the cross at the cost, possibly, of our comfort? Are we willing to lay aside things that make us comfortable, things that help us to avoid persecution, things that help us to avoid pain, are we willing to set those aside so that we can boast in the cross and see Jesus lifted up? So again, this is the message of the book of Galatians summarized in these verses, verses 11 to 18. It's the simple message of the gospel. And so the question again is, where is your boast? Where is your glory? What fills your vision? What, what brings you joy and hope? And Paul has made it clear that if our hope is in the flesh, then we have no hope. And those who are concerned with their lives alone will never find eternal life. But, but if, we would, if we would glory in the cross, if we would embrace the message that says we can do nothing, and if we would not only embrace that, but we would embrace the ridicule and, and the persecution of the cross and boast only in that, then we will find life. Then we will have hope of salvation, not rooted in ourselves. Again, just it's been reiterated so often in the book of Galatians that it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works of the law. Why? So that God is glorified, so that when we boast in the cross alone, he is lifted up, and he is seen in the grave. So, 
in a world that tells us to, to look to ourselves, that says we can earn our own salvation, the message of the gospel, the message of Galatians comes straight against that. And it affirms that our only hope for salvation is through faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so may it never be that we would boast in anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world.